Hello and good morning. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing great. Sorry you joined just in time for me to cough in your ear. <laughs> I'll tell you what, speaking of things that, that happened just in time, this book, On Addiction, is a book that is oh. good. It, it comes at a great time because you know how it is these days when somebody needs a little bit of help with their mental issues. Okay, we'll get you in by June. Oh, we're not taking any clients anymore. Yes. And this book right here serves as a step. Just let me just see if there is something wrong. That's exactly right. Um, you know, the earlier we can intervene in any illness process, and addiction is a chronic medical illness, the better chance we have of getting our arms around it and making a difference. And so I love you saying now is the right time because actually it is always the right time right now to have the conversation, whether that's with yourself or with somebody that you're worried about, like, do not delay. When you talk about having that conversation, one of the things that you introduce readers to is a safe space talk. In other words, let's go into a safe area where there's no judgment. I just want to listen mm -hmm. or share a few words. Mm -hmm. This is incredibly important. So the name of the book is Unaddiction. And we made this word up um, to be like, what do we need to unlearn? What are the stigmas we need to undo? What are the conversations we need to uncover? And one of the stigmas is the shame that we've wrapped around this illness that is addiction. And so it can be really hard and scary for a person to even wonder, do I have an addiction? Or to be able to say to someone, I think I want to change the way I'm using insert whatever substance. And so one of the conversations we teach you to have, which literally can save someone's life, is how do you be that safe space for a person to be able to come to you and say, I think I might need help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the shame and the guilt that's inside the one who is addicted, they don't want to talk about it. They don't even want to look at themselves in the mirror. But you, but yeah, body mm -hmm. language says so much. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, you know, even when you're walking down the street, you can tell the people who don't mind if you make eye contact and say hi and the people that don't want anything to do with you. And unfortunately, we send a lot of don't want anything to do with you messages to people who have addiction. Mm -hmm. And so part of this book is how do we change that and open our arms really to provide support and compassion to people who are suffering. I know that with my brother, he became a very angry man. It eventually caught up to him, but it's mm. like, but it's like, man, you know, he says, you can't control my life. I'm just, and it's like, you know, I'm not the only one that's living this. There's a lot of people that go through this daily. Yeah, it's so true. So the statistic is 46% of Americans have a loved one or someone close to them who is dealing with addiction. That is everybody, right? That's one in two people. And so that's another one of the myths that we need to undo is that addiction is happening to everybody else. It is happening to all of us. We either have it ourselves or somebody we care about is dealing with it. Do you think that part of the problem is the fact that even something as simple as beer is cheaper than a Red Bull and people are going to take that, that, you know, hey, this is only two bucks. I'm doing this instead. Yeah, I love that you pointed that out. So we talk about in the book biological, psychological, and environmental reasons that addiction develops and or gets worse. And you just pointed to one of the environmental reasons, right? Like culturally, people expect you to drink. Culturally, it used to be cool to smoke. That's mm -hmm. changing now, except now it's cool to vape. That's changing a little bit. It's cool to like do edibles and eat marijuana. So when things are cheaper, yes, that increases access. When things are cool, yes, that increases the chance people will use it. And if you have 
a biological risk or a psychological risk for addiction, then that really increases your risk the more available that substance is. Does that also include hereditary? Because uh, my father was an yeah. alcoholic in, in every day of my life, and my mother was was a, was smoked everything. I mean, not pot, but cigarettes. Yeah. But she was endless with it. And so that's been my biggest fear in life. What am I addicted to? So I write every day. That That's going to be my addiction. Totally, 100%. So we are born with a biological risk for all kinds of chronic conditions. Addiction is just one of them, right? Your risk for developing addiction, 40 to 60% yeah. of that risk is coded in your DNA the day you're born. That is the same or higher than diabetes, blood pressure, asthma. And so just the fact that you know that empowers you to maybe think about cigarettes differently, to maybe think about alcohol differently, right? Like my kids the same, we have a lot of addiction in our family. And so I started having this conversation with my kids when they were four and in the book, there are scripts for kids of different ages to have the conversation. By the time they get to teenage years, I'm like, listen, you're about to go to college. Your friends might be able to do a line of cocaine in the bathroom and it's just a fun party that has very different implications for you because of your DNA. Mm, mm. You ask a very important question, and it is, are you a flower or a weed? And when I saw the word weed, Mm. I thought, Queen's Lace, that is not looked upon as being a flower, that's a weed, and yet Queen's Lace is unbelievably beautiful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, oh gosh, you just like gave me the feels with that question. I Mm. love that question so much because we think of weeds as like, not important, just pull it out, just put some herbicide on it and kill it, right? And there are people in our communities that we think of the same way. Um, But really, a weed has had an incredibly hostile environment and somehow it has poked through the cracks and survived. And so if we can start to look at people as survivors of what they've experienced and respect that and lift them up for that and invite them into the fold and pour compassion on them, we can start turning around an addiction crisis. I'm going to steal that queen's lace. That was amazing. Please do. <laughs> this is my, my, my current situation in the, this ever-changing nation when it comes to drugs and alcohol. And that is, is that mm-hmm. as each state legalizes marijuana, you're, you're starting to see the people with those little, they, they think they're being invisible with those little puffers, but you see them doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's like you're working mm-hmm. in my space and you're high. If I were drunk, you would have a problem with that. And I just think that we've, we've mm-hmm. made it okay for, for people who are high to be at the workplace. Yeah, what you're talking about is like in that environmental, cultural aspect of drug use. So like using drugs is a human phenomenon. We all do it. We drink Starbucks, we eat cake. Yep. Like caffeine is a drug, sugar is a drug. We all do it, right? But I agree with you completely. So we can make the choice to use drugs, that's fine. But how do we use drugs safely and how do I let my drug use not affect those around me? And so that's really one of the earliest warning signs. If I'm starting to get feedback from people around me about my drug use, in the book there's a conversation to help you start to have that conversation with yourself. As an employer, so I co-founded this company, Eleanor Health, we take care of people with addiction in the same framework that you see in the book. We cannot have you high at work, right? You may use drugs somewhere else, but there's a safety factor that we have to have here. And so we have to build a culture of no drug use at work um, 
but when a person does make a choice to use drugs or if a person develops an addiction and I'm making that distinction intentionally, drug use is a choice, addiction is an illness. Do we know how to handle that and do we culturally have the support to intervene in a compassionate and effective way? The word numb has been a big word in my life, all the way back to my first book that was published. Mm-hmm. And I, ta- I said, even mm-hmm. being numb is a feeling. You've got to identify the fact that yeah. numb is a feeling. And, and it's like it doesn't describe what you're feeling until we hear what you're feeling. How do you feel about that? That's right. You are taking me to church today. That's how I feel about that. Yes and amen. Um, Numb is a feeling. And our culture, again, back to that, is like just sweep it under the rug, do something to take it away. That culture is dangerous, right? What you just described is the beginning of a cultural revolution, which is like lift up the rug, take that thing out, and give it a name. And when you take that thing out and give it a name, you start to empower yourself to figure out what to do about it and you start to activate the people around you to help you figure out what to do about it. But the more silent we are, the uglier it's getting under that rug. And that's why conversations is in the name of this book. Yep, and that's and that's why you're talking with radio people and television people across the nation because we've got to get that talk started, man. We gotta quit hiding. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta quit hiding. So thank you so much for making this platform because this literally is the way we save lives is talking about it and making it safe for people to have that conversation with each other and to have that conversation with us. Where can we go to find more information about you, your writing, your studies? Because this is, this is just a, a, a chapter of your real journey. This is just a chapter. So thank you. You can find me everywhere. I'm on all the socials. So X and Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and, um, uh, I don't know if I didn't mention one, but my handle is Nzinga MD, so my first name, and then MD like medical doctor. And then definitely to learn more, we put a lot of intention into our education on our website at Eleanor Health, so www.eleanorhealth.com. And then, of course, I hope you'll pick up the book. It's everywhere that you can get a book, online, in a store, Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores. Um and have the conversation. Well, and a compliment to, to your to your, your publisher, and that is this cover is unbelievable because when, you know, on addiction, I see the, the people, they're lined up, they're, they're silhouettes, but beneath them are the people that are upside down. They, too, are lined up like a silhouette. This book cover really opens your heart. I love that you saw the upside down people. So I love it. Yeah, the cover is just beautiful. Kudos to the publisher for sure. Union Square and Company. I love it. (laughs) Well, please come back to this show anytime in the future, Doctor. The door is always going to be open for you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it and have a great day. Be brilliant, okay? Bye.